Well, welcome to everyone here and those joining us online and over at Bush Lake. It's so good to be together. My name is Zach, and I have the joy of serving as the multi-site pastor as well as the Bush Lake campus pastor. And we are continuing in our sermon series, our summer sermon series called Summer Games. That's a little bit of a tongue twister I learned this morning, uh, but it's really a, an exciting time as we see that the Olympics are upon us. And whenever we look at the Bible, we realize that there is this Olympic metaphor, there's this motif and this parallel that carries over into our faith. Uh, much like an Olympian who trains for their uh, competition or trains for their race that they're running, so too are we called to train in our own faith journey. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. And, and as I began to research and, and think through a little bit of this message today, uh, there was one Olympian who really caught my attention. Okay, it's someone who I grew up watching. It's someone who, I don't know, you might be familiar with. It's a guy by the name of Michael Phelps. Okay, I wanted to see, okay, what is it that really set Michael Phelps apart from all the other swimmers that helped him win so many gold medals? And what's crazy about Michael is his training regimen. Uh, okay, here are just some of the things, some of the statistics that I found out about him when he was in his training peak. Okay, Michael would swim on average about 80,000 meters every single week. You're like, meters? What, what are meters? I don't know either, so I had to go translate it. You want to know how much it is? 50 miles. Ooh, yeah, I know, right? Okay, he's not walking 50 miles. He's, he's swimming 50 miles every single week. Okay, when I was a, a young boy, I swam one mile at a Boy Scout camp in a summer. Never again. Okay, that nearly did me in. He would swim 50 miles every single week. But not just that, when he wasn't in the pool, he was taking care of his recovery. He was spending time getting a massage or spending time with a trainer or spending time in an ice bath. But not only that, he took intense measures whenever it came to his nutrition plan. It's believed that Michael Phelps would eat anywhere between 8,000 to 10,000 calories a day. Okay, the average American should eat anywhere from 2,000 to 2,500 calories a day. So just think about that. He would eat more in one day than we would eat in five days combined. Okay, and this is just one of the things that we can begin to see, that he was so intense with his training and with everything that he would do to prepare for his sport and his competition. And whenever we get to see these behind-the-scene moments of these athletes and these Olympians, it makes us really want to root for them and, and cheer for them as well. But whenever we begin to see this, this parallel and this crossover to our own faith, whenever we come to follow Jesus, we know that we're called to, to grow in our faith as well. We're, we're called to submit ourselves towards training. But if you're anything like me, a lot of times that can prompt more questions. Because whenever we think about training, okay, I know for myself in particular, it's never perfect and it's never easy. Okay, a lot of times it requires even more questions. Some of us might ask the question, okay, uh, what am I called to do in terms of my training? Is it reading the Bible? Is it praying? Is it like sharing my faith? What does it look like exactly? What am I called to do with training? But then not only that, how often should I do it? And when should I do it? Uh, maybe you've asked those questions of yourself at some point in your life, or maybe you're even wrestling with those questions today. And I want us to lean into that. And I want us to learn with one another. Uh, but before we dive in, you know, I, I'm one of those guys, I, I want to know the big goal. I want to know the big win. Like why? Why should I do some training? Why should I submit myself to these sort of things? And so the big idea that I want us to look at today is this. The goal of training is godliness. 
Okay, the goal of training is godliness. It's really a call towards discipleship, and that's what this sermon series is all about, this call towards discipleship. And at Westwood, we have a definition around it, because I know discipleship can be kind of one of those buzzy words. We would say discipleship, godliness is this, it's to be and live like Jesus and help someone else do the same. Okay, to be and live like Jesus and help someone else do the same. That's what we're called to. Uh, We're called to train for godliness, to be and live like Jesus. And so we're going to get direction. We're going to get understanding for this training uh, from one passage today that we're going to camp out in. And that passage is 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. And the Apostle Paul is writing to uh, his young trainee, a a guy by the name of Timothy, who is a church planter in the city of Ephesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pursue godliness, but not only do I want you to pursue godliness, I want this to uh, ripple effect out to others as well. I want you to help others to grow in their godliness too. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. And as we walk through 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10, I want to give you a little bit of a roadmap. Uh, we're going to see, first of all, a problem, a, a problem that hinders us from godliness and training. Second, a solution, a solution to our training. And then third, a plan, a plan that we can implement. And so what I want to invite you to do, I want you to invite you to pull out your engagement card. You know, there's a place on the backside to take some notes. Uh, you can rip off that bottom piece that our host talked about earlier and drop that in the uh, bins as you leave today. But there's a, a note section for you to grab some notes and, and just jot a few thoughts down there. But as we dig in, let's just look at this whole passage in its entirety. Let's read this together. It says this, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you, Timothy, will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves our full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the savior of all people, and especially those who believe. Okay, we can see this passage in its entirety, but uh, we we come to the first point, which is really the problem, the problem that hinders us uh, from training, from, from pursuing godliness. And Paul addresses it right there in verse seven. Uh, let's look again at this. He highlights it. He, he says these words, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Okay, he gives this calling right out the gate. He says, I want you to train yourself for godliness. Train yourself. Go through these things. Per, uh, pursue disciplines in your life so that you can be and live like Jesus, so that you can pursue godliness. Uh, but then he says, you know what? He makes this distinction. I know that there are certain things that are swirling around in your church. He he says there are certain things called uh, godless, irreverent myths and old wives' tales. Now, as I really began to study this passage and came to an understanding of what Paul was getting at, I was kind of intrigued. I was like, whoa, hold on a second. Godless myths and old wives' tales? What is that? You're probably wondering, what what is the godless myth and old wives' tales? Do you want to know? Yeah, I have no idea. Paul doesn't clarify it for us. He doesn't go on and say, this is what I'm talking about, Timothy. But the reality is, is that I think what he's getting at, he's saying, Timothy, don't be distracted. He says, Timothy, I want you to have laser-like focus on this goal to pursue godliness. Don't allow these these myths or these tales or these things, these rumors that are swirling around the church to, to get you off the calling that you have before you. 
And so I think if we were to put words around this first point, this problem that we see here, I think it would be this. Distractions deter our direction towards godliness. Okay, distractions deter our direction towards godliness. And I know we kind of joked about that a little bit. It's like, okay, what are these irreverent godless myths and what are these old wives' tales? Here's the truth of the matter. Uh, We are probably not dealing with the same sort of irreverent myths that Timothy was 2,000 years ago. But the truth of the matter is that there are still distractions that can swirl in our day and age today that will deter and pull our focus away from godliness that we are called to pursue. And so I want you to invite you, think about it. What are these distractions? Maybe even in your own life. Okay, what is it that's distracting you from pursuing a training that will lead to godliness? I realize that there are probably a variety of responses and answers to that question. But as I think about it, as I kind of look at the landscape of where we are today, two really rise to the surface for me. Okay, the two distractions that kind of bubble up, I think, first of all, uh, social media. Uh, Plain and simple, I think that whenever we can begin to see it, I think that there are rumors and tales that can swim uh, and swirl around our Facebook and our Instagram feeds whenever we're scrolling through it. So I think we have to be aware of that. But not only that, I think a lot of times the news outlets, not only in what they're saying, but how they're saying things can be a distraction towards the calling that we have. So let's think about the adverse effects of these things, of these certain medias. Okay, for social media, for example, it's believed that an estimated 27% of children who spend three or more hours a day on social media can exhibit symptoms of poor mental health. In fact, a study performed by the California State University found that individuals that visited any social media site uh, more than 58 times per week were three times more likely to feel socially isolated, lonely, and depressed compared to those who uh, maybe visited those sites nine times per week. So we can ultimately see that there is an adverse effect, that there is a distraction that can pull our focus away from our calling. And so when I think about this, I think that we could ultimately summarize it. I think that if we spend too much time on social media, we're going to be disappointed with our own lives and we're going to be distracted. If we spend too much time watching the news, we're going to be disappointed with our world and distracted from what we're called to. If we spend too much time on HGTV, we're going to be disappointed in our houses <laughs> and distracted from the calling that we have. Okay, but hear me when I say this. Okay, I- I'm not saying stick your head in the ground whenever it comes to social media. I'm not saying plug your ears whenever it comes to the news outlet. Because here's the thing, friends, we have to be informed. We have to be well-versed on what's going on in our world and around us. We, we have to be aware of it. I believe that firmly. But I think the question is this, are, are we allowing the things that are swirling in our world to determine and direct our view of God? Are we allowing our view of God and what scripture says about him to determine how we're going to view the world around us? You see, I hope and pray that it's the second one. I hope and pray that we can be wise and we can be discerning of what's going on as we look at the world through the lens of what Christ has called us to by engaging and looking at his word. I pray that we can be wise and we can have good understanding and and, and the things that we are called to. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a reflection thought. Okay, do you have at least a basic sense of equilibrium when it comes to these things that we're looking at and pursuing in our lives? Okay, so if you're spending two, three hours a day scrolling through the feeds on Facebook or Instagram, are you finding time 
maybe two to three hours a day to engage in God's word and God's presence. Okay, if you're sitting there watching news for four, five, six hours a day, are you also getting the life-giving information that is so readily available through God's presence? Uh, Friends, let's be wise and let's elevate and let's train ourselves, let's discipline ourselves to say, I'm aware of the distractions. I'm aware how these distractions can deter me from pursuing godliness and let's do something about it. Okay, so that leads us now into our second point, which is the solution. Okay, what is the solution if we're called to move away from these distractions? Well, Paul picks back up and he says in verse eight, he says these words. He says, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. He says, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. He says, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves our full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive because we've put our hope and the living God, who is the savior of all people, especially those who believe. Okay, Paul says, he highlights these ideas. He says, you know, uh, physical training is of some value, but he says godliness, training for your spiritual godliness, has value both for this life and the life to come. And and then he says, uh, this saying is, is worthy and deserving of our full acceptance. He's saying this saying is worthy of our full focus and attention to pursue godliness. And then he uses two little words. He says, this is why we labor and this is why we strive. And I love those two words because this correlates to the training that an Olympian pursues. I mean, think about it. An Olympian strives and agonizes and labors over their competition. I mean, they're up early in the morning when everyone else is still asleep. They're the first ones there and the last ones to leave. They submit their bodies to, to harsh and difficult training. Uh, they pursue uh, the right nutrition plans so that they have the appropriate amount of caloric intake, not only for their training, but also for the competition before them. They strive, they agonize, and they labor for what it is that is before them. And so I think that we have to adopt a similar mindset within our faith. You know, it's like, but that's, that's hard. That's not easy, right? I mean, my typical default in the morning isn't like, hey, guess what? I am so ready to labor and strive today, okay? That's not our default, but we've got to adopt it. We've got to find ways to, to move towards it. And so what is it that allows an Olympian to say, I'm going to labor and strive today? And similarly, what is it that's going to allow us to say, I'm going to labor and strive and agonize over my faith? I think the solution is really this. It takes a compelling vision plus consistent drive. Okay, it takes a compelling vision plus a consistent drive. I mean, think about it. Every Olympian hopefully has this compelling vision of of representing their country well and of standing on the podium with the gold medal around their necks. That's their compelling vision, a futuristic picture. But then they have a consistent drive. Okay, whenever I used to, to play hockey, and I know you're probably looking at me and you're like, this guy was an athlete. It's like, yes, at one time I was. Okay, but it took a consistent drive. I, I hated losing more than I loved to win. Okay, that was my consistent drive. I was like, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to win, uh, to, to, to train and to be the best of the best. It was a consistent drive. And so let's unpack this of how this relates to our faith. Okay, first of all, a compelling vision. Okay, vision is a futuristic picture. It's a picture of a preferred future for our lives. And there's this idea, this idea towards godliness to be and live like Jesus. And so it's a question for you. Do you have a vision of who God wants you to be in your life? 
Do you have a compelling vision, a futuristic picture of who God wants you to be in your life? You know, for me, my vision is that I, I want to uh, love, look, and live like Jesus every single day. But then reality sets in. And I realize that that's not actually going to happen in a perfect world. And so what I understand is that there is a gap between my compelling vision and my present current reality. And, and I'm doing everything I can to, to shrink and to shorten this gap to make it more truthful. And, and so for me, I, I want to have peace like Jesus. I want to have patience like Jesus. God is still working patience on me every single day. Okay, I want to have peace. I want to have patience. I want to love like Jesus. I want to love people the way that Jesus loves them. I want to get to the edge of my comfort zone and bring hope and healing and goodness into the world around us because I know that I don't grow when I'm in my comfort zone. I got to get to the edge of that. And so as I think about this, it's focusing our time and our attention and our vision on this compelling futuristic vision of what Jesus has for us in our lives. And as I think about that, there's a communicator who I really appreciate. He's a guy by the name of Craig Groeschel. He's a pastor in Oklahoma. And he has a leadership axiom. It goes something like this. He says, your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Think about it. Your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so is your strongest thought moving towards that distraction that we talked about earlier? Uh, the, the fear and the, the anxiousness that a lot of times can accompany us? Or is your strongest thought uh, moving towards this compelling picture of who you are in Christ? It takes a compelling vision that we need to move towards. But not just that, it also takes a consistent drive. Okay, what is a consistent drive? Well, it's doing little things consistently over a period of time that are eventually going to snowball into bigger things. Okay, when I played hockey, I had a coach who a lot of times wanted us to maximize every single moment of practice. He came to us one day because we were kind of lollygagging in practice a little bit, and, and he just sat us down and he said, you realize this, right? You're standing around in drills waiting for your turn, and, and if you were to add this up, you're probably standing around for 10 or 15 minutes every single practice doing nothing. He said, what if you took those 15 minutes and you brought intentionality to that time and you really found ways to, to maximize that time and do a little extra skating drill or a little extra puck handling drill, whatever that might look like. He said, if, if you do that 15 minutes of practice and we practice four times a week, that's 60 minutes a week. Let me check that. Is that math right? <laughs> yeah, right there. It's good. 60 minutes a week. And, and the span of a month, that's four extra practices in a month. Over the span of an eight-month season, that's 32 extra hours, 32 extra practices that you can have in, in your life and in your training. And so I think whenever we see this consistent drive impacting our own faith, I, I think it carries through as well. You see, because I hear a lot of times people saying, you know, I, I can't find time. I can't find time to read my Bible or I can't find time to pray. I mean, I'll be honest, I make that, ex that excuse all the time too, but here's the reality. You will never find time. You got to make time. Okay, you, you got to prioritize these times. You, you got to set it up and you got to say, you know what? I'm going to move towards it. At Westwood, a lot of times we say it's moving from a want to to a will to. It's saying, yeah, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to study my Bible. I want to pray more to saying, I, I will study my Bible. I will pray more. I will share my faith more often. The solution is combining this compelling vision with a consistent drive. 
to move forward to say, you know what, I'm aware of the distractions. I'm aware that there are things that are swirling around that are going to deter my attention and my focus away from godliness. But I'm going to set myself up to follow in the calling that Jesus has given me. But now we recognize that there is still kind of a little bit of a gap between our current reality and our future hopes. And so how do we get there? What is the plan that leads us from here to there? Uh, well, let's look at this plan. And we got to go right back to the text. Let's go right back into verse 6 uh, to what Paul says to Timothy. He says this. He says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. And then hold these words right here. Nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. See those words. I mean, Paul is saying, uh, you're going to be nourished on the truths of the faith. And that word nourished, it it carries with this idea of kind of training, but it also has this idea of of nourished as in growing up. It's this idea of a young boy or a young girl being nourished and growing up into being a young man or a young woman. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, your spiritual nutrition plan is to be nourished on the truths of the faith, to to set your mind on, on what is true. But then he goes on and he says, it's not just being nourished on the truths of faith, but it's to know the good teaching that you have followed. He's saying there are things that are good teaching that you are called to follow. And when I think about this, another word that's used throughout the New Testament that's synonymous with the word follow is the word obedience. Now, I know obedience is kind of like this, this harsh word sometimes. Obedience is simply, the, it, it's simply saying yes to where God is prompting us. It's simply saying yes to, to how God is leading us in our lives, to, to follow him and to trust him to where he's leading us. And so for us, it's not just filling our minds with biblical content and biblical knowledge, but it also means following and being obedient to where Christ has called us towards godliness. Notice what I didn't say. It's not meaning like, okay, I'm going to have all the answers. I'm going to have everything buttoned up and and, and everything clarified. Uh, No, that means sometimes, you know, Jesus, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to do this perfectly. I I don't know what's going to happen next, but I will follow you. I will be obedient to what it is that you are calling me to do. It's saying, you know, the Holy Spirit is kind of like our our coach. Uh, He's parakaleo. He's, He's called to come alongside to direct us and to help us on this journey. Because like I said before, this whole idea of spiritual training, I seldom get it right myself. But we're called to pursue it and to follow through with it. And so if we see these two words uh, of being nourished on the truths of faith and and following the good teaching, if we were to bring these together, what is the, the one plan that we can put into place? Simply put, your plan today is this, engage God's word. Plain and simple. Engage God's word. Notice I I didn't say read God's word. I'm saying engage God's word. We we don't read God's word like we read the newspaper or or the feeds. Uh, We're called to to slowly, methodically meditate on God's word, to to, to really chew on it and and to really see what it means. It means that whenever we have questions, we don't run from those questions, but we lean into those questions and see if we can find answers and understanding for it. And so here's the invitation for each and every one of us today. Simply put, engage God's word. Now, I recognize that some of us may have come from a faith background where it seemed like studying and learning and reading God's word was only reserved for the professional priests or pastors. But what we see is that God is saying that his word is is living and active. It's open for anyone and everyone to to come to and read and to understand. And so I just want to say, first of all, there might be some of you here 
who don't even own a Bible. Okay, if that's you, you're in luck today. Because what we have done is we've purchased Bibles, and, and these are available at our info spot here at Chan and at our info spot at Bush Lake. Stop outside and grab a Bible. It's, it's free for you, so grab one of those. And take it with you and engage and study and learn from God's Word. He, he wants to give you life abundantly. But a lot of times the question that I get followed up with is, yeah, Zach, this is great. I've got a Bible, but how do I study it? And where do I start? Okay, I'm glad you asked that question. Because wait, there's more. Our team has put together uh, a, a Bible bookmark that has two uh, ways to study God's word. Uh, one is an acronym that's called SOAP. It means to uh, start with scripture and then have some observation, application, and prayer. Uh, you can pick that up. And it's got three questions that you can overlay as you're studying God's word, as you're engaging with it. And I'm going to talk about those three in, here in just a little bit. But then it also has a QR code there at the bottom that'll take you to a place called Bible Gateway. And if you're online, go to Bible Gateway. They've got tons of resources there as well. They've got online Bibles that you can um, access and, and go through. But Bible Gateway has tools and commentaries, and it also has Bible reading plans that you can go to that are free for you to use. So now you know uh, where to start, but, but how do you do it? I, I want to highlight these three questions for you for what it means to engage God's Word. Uh, so first of all, answer the question, what does it say? Okay, first and foremost, uh, pick a passage, pick a verse, and ask and answer the question, what does it say? Okay, slow down, make some observations, read through it. Uh, highlight, well, who is this subject? What are the verbs? What, what, what's it saying right here? Uh, okay, just, just simply, methodically, just walk through the text. Uh, second, ask and answer the question, what does it mean? And so maybe for you, what this looks like is to put the verse or the passage into your own words. Okay, begin to understand a little bit more. And if you've got questions that arose out of your observations, now is your chance to go and maybe look at some resources. Okay, there are things called Bible commentaries. Much like we have political and news commentary, there are also things called Bible commentaries. You can find these on BibleGateway.com. These are from scholars who have studied the Bible or studied that book in particular that you can go to and access them. One tool that I love to use is called the ESV Study Bible. Uh, it's chock full of resources and introductions to each and every book. But answer the question, what does it mean? But then the third question, and it doesn't just stop there, it continues on, it says this, how can I live this out? How can I live this out? It, it doesn't mean just filling our minds with biblical content and biblical knowledge, but it, it means how can I live this out? How can I move towards godliness in my own life? How can I be and live like Jesus? How is uh, God prompting me as I uh, study and meditate on his word? You know, as we think about this idea of, of a plan to move towards godliness, as you read his word, maybe you're learning other disciplines that you're called to apply. Uh, maybe it looks like having a deeper, more abiding prayer life. Maybe as you read God's word, he's prompting you to say, you know what, I want you to fast from something and I want you to pursue more of me. Uh, maybe as you read God's word, he's, he's prompting you to uh, engage in a time of silence and solitude. We live in such a noisy world that sometimes it's beneficial to spend a moment just trying to hear the word and the voice of God. Uh, there are all these other disciplines that we can pursue, but I just want to invite you, engage God's word. What does it say? What does it mean? And, and how should I live this out? That's our plan. That the goal of training is godliness, to be and live like Jesus. And we can do that through engaging his word. But here's the important reminder for us today. We don't do all of this, all this training, all of this discipline on our own. In fact, it stems from our identity. 
And, and we've used this discipleship definition, to be and live like Jesus. It starts with that first word, to be. To be with Jesus. Then we have put our faith and trust in him, that he gives us a new identity, that we are no longer the old, but we are the new, that we are now beloved sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we have a great opportunity to remember that as we come to the table today, to receive of these elements, to be nourished on the truth that in Jesus, we now have new life. And so for those of us who are followers of Jesus, I just invite you, may we take with glad and sincere hearts today but then there are others here. I, I realize that maybe you're here today for the first time ever or the first time in a long time. And as we've said, we can come to the table. The, the amazing part about Jesus, this is not a closed off table. This is an open table. That he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, I came that you might have life abundantly. And so I invite you today, maybe it's your turn to put your faith and your trust in Christ, a savior of your life, to know that the death that he died gave us new life. So friends, with that said, let's come to the table. Would you please join me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we come before you now and we are so humbled and we are so grateful that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us that you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so God, we want that life. Uh, we wanna pursue godliness. We wanna find out what it means uh, to walk in the promptings and the leadings that you have in our lives. And Lord, today is such a perfect reminder of that, that we can have joy, we can have hope, we can have abundant life found in you not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. That he died the death that we should have died. And instead he gives us new life. And so as we receive these elements, we just ask and pray. May we take them with joyful, glad, and sincere hearts. So we ask that you will be praised and that you'll be honored for our good and for your glory, God. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said,